0: And welcome to this special edition of the Heart to Heart Walk podcast. In these episodes, we get to hear from everyday people who've done extraordinary things and how sometimes that can be hard on them and their families, which is what this walk is really about. So get ready to hear some amazing stuff from amazing people. Welcome to the Heart to Heart Walk podcast. Today is a hot debrief episode and we're actually out on location at Malonglo Rural Fire Service Station. And today we're joined by Rowan Scott, AFSM, who's currently the Chief Officer of the ACT Rural Fire Service, part of the ACT Emergency Services Agency. G'day, Rowan. G'day. Listen, Rowan, you've you've had a long career in the Rural Fire Service, so... Could you just tell us right from the very start, I guess, where you grew up and what drew you to the Rural Fire Service?
1: Yeah, so my, um, my heritage is actually goes quite well back for the ACT. Um, my grandmother's side was one of the, one of the original um, farming families which settled in the ACT region. So I've got a strong connection there. But for me personally, I grew up in what we call um, postcode 2615, which is where we are now. I um, grew up in uh, the next suburb over, and I now live in the, the next suburb across from that, so I've never moved out of the postcode. Wow. So I've got a really, really strong connection uh, to this area, um, and that was one of the reasons that I um, wanted to give back to the community, which is a bit of a cliche, um, but one of my really good friends at the time, um, he was a member of the Hall Rural Fire Service, which is um, to the northern part of the ACT. And he kept disappearing and, and, you know, on a weeknight he'd go to the shed and would be down the, the oval playing cricket and all of a sudden he's got a race off to the shed. Yeah. And I thought, this shed must be pretty interesting. <laughs>
0: the shed. <laughs> um,
1: so went along to a, uh, a training night and um, here we are 25 years later. Um, and this facility where we are here was um, it uh, – 1997 is when it started. So I was um, one of the founding members of this brigade when it started as yeah, well. Yeah, so you
0: actually started your career here. Correct, yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So the shed. That's I think that's it must be a global term for rural fire brigade buildings. It is the shed, yeah. I, I think I don't think I've ever heard them described as anything other than Let's go to the, well, I've always called it the bushy shed, but yeah, the, the shed. Yeah, yeah. And even yeah, when, you
1: even in work related terms, you, you refer to it as the shed. And yeah. people sort of think, well, what's a shed? Um, you can't call it yeah, a, right. a station because no. that's not what we do. And um, yeah, it's always been the shed. The shed.
0: That's cool. Hey, so starting out as a volunteer, um, what, what age were you when you joined?
1: Good question. Um, about 23? Yeah, okay. Yeah, 23.
0: And so what, what have you done other than being a volunteer bushfire brigade officer?
1: So I, um, I'm a dental technician by trade. Right. Um, and I worked for someone for 10 years and then decided to start my own business. Um, and we, we had a very successful um, dental laboratory. But it got to a point um, I just wasn't enjoying it. I was waking up not wanting to go to work. Mm. I was dreading work during the day. And uh, an opportunity came up with ACT Royal Fire Service for a four month contract. Um, I was at that point of life. Um just turned just past my forties, so very early forties. Um, and I had to have a career change, otherwise I probably would have yeah. to spiral. I I just had no desire to to currently um you know, continue the the business, even yeah, though it right. was was quite successful in that regard. So I took a four-month contract with the ACTRFS as their um, just ops person. Right. Um, that contract then got extended and then other opportunities came up and uh, here I am seven years later um, in the position I currently am. So I'm, I'm, I'm wow. pretty uh, surprised, um, excited, <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I wake up every day wanting to go to work. Yeah, good. Um, it's exactly what I needed and what I wanted um we do always say you know find something you love and get paid to do it yeah um again it's a bit of a throwaway line but 100% i yeah. i love what i do and um i get up wanting to go to work and put the uniform on that's what a lot of
0: people trying to f- or try to find i think yeah absolutely so while you're in, uh, so with your career as a volunteer fire brigade member so could you just walk us through you know, I, I guess some of the milestones within that path that you are in.
1: Yeah. Being a, a foundation member of of a new brigade, we were given a lot more opportunities um, than other brigade members probably would have had if I joined a, um, an already established brigade within the ACT. So I was elevated quite quickly into those leadership roles, um, whether that was I was the last person standing, you know, stepped forward when <laughs> I should have stepped back. Um, but we had a really, really um, – um, supportive captain at the time. So Steve Christensen was his name. Uh, he actually owned, well, didn't own, but he was the, the manager of the property just down the road here, which is the Pegasus riding for disabled. And we actually, for the first couple of years, our vehicles were housed in that, um, facility. Right. They were housed literally in the stables. We we had the vehicles parked in the stables
0: yeah.
1: Um, and we ran out of there whilst this facility was being built. Wow. But Steve was one of those that would um, would support you, mentor you all the way through, and it would push you beyond your comfort. Uh, he knew your ability um, and it would only step in when, you know, you needed a bit more guidance or a bit of a recorrection, um, but incredibly supportive. Uh, and to this day, uh, he still is, though. We, um, we don't catch up as often as I'd like, but when we do, uh, I still really um, value what he has to say and mm. um, he's just, yeah, he's a pretty um, phenomenal person.
0: Well, those people are always a standout in your, in your life, aren't they? They're few and far between the, the, uh,
1: the real deals, but yeah. That's... Yeah, well, Steve went on to actually produce Mythbusters, of all things.
0: Seriously? The
1: TV show, yeah. So Steve down the road here became a, you know a producer <laughs> of a... Very, very popular
0: TV show. So, wow! Yeah, that's a bit of an Small advert world. for this uh, this fire station, this this uh, shed, as, yeah. a, as we'll call it. The um, yeah, wow, it's producing some pretty yeah. pretty high performing people. So, uh, if you need some more volunteers, throw it out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, could you just the the ACT Emergency Services Agency is a little bit. I don't know that everyone will understand exactly how it's constructed, and 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 I'd, I'm interested in how your role as the chief mm. officer of the rural fire service actually sort of fits position-wise and and in within that organisation, and what your role in the actual ESA is. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's we are quite unique in the fact that we've got all four emergency services under the one banner. So. The Emergency Services Agency was established after the 2003 fires uh, and the Emergencies Act, which is legislation, um, was drafted. We've got ACT State Emergency Service, ACT Rural Fire Service, ACT Fire and Rescue and ACT Ambulance Service all under the one banner. We have a commissioner at the top of that and we've got all our enabling services within the, the headquarters. Right. So I've got legislation for fires in the rural area and I report directly to the commissioner. Um, but what, it, what it allows us to do is day-to-day we're sharing the corridors, we're going to the same meetings. So that um, collaboration and that uh, networking is already established mm-hmm. and because we've got a very shallow layer of um, hierarchy and, and structure there, we actually step in and help each other for um, other types of incidents. So whilst I might be uh, the lead agency or lead service for bush and grass in, or anything rural, yep. we then come in and support the SES if they were in flood operations or, or storm response. Yep. And, um, and the other services come in and support us if we were in, in prolonged operations as well. So it works very, very um, effectively, but it also means things like our, our resource centre, our um, internal workshops, our intelligence gathering, all work for all four services right. and everything's linked. So um, it's a bit like uh, a bigger area, you know, New South Wales has got something similar what they tried to do with, I think, resilience, but that didn't really yeah. um, succeed. That's, that's gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're, we're quite lucky in that sense and yeah. we all report to the one minister. Um, and again, we're very well um, connected in that regard because we are so small. We we get to meet those um, people in in government mm. um, because uh, we you know our chain of reporting is through the commissioner and then straight into um, the director general or into um, government, which is the minister. Mm. Um, but very successful in the way it's it's um, been established, and uh, it reduces that duplication, but also brings that connectivity between the the lead. Service and then the supporting elements that we yeah, all right. provide to each other.
0: So Victoria has a similar model, don't they? Is that a is that a similar approach under EMV?
1: I think they tried to, um, but I think under that, and I could be wrong. I think ambulance is separate again. Okay, they come under Vic Health. I think, um, from my understanding, we're the only jurisdiction that actually has ambulance separated from health and they, their own. Um, element under the agency yeah, uh, okay. the ACT. Yeah, I think that
0: is unusual. Yeah, sure. So with the, um, actually, oh, now I'm thinking back, back in uh, Police Commissioner Scipione's era in New South Wales, there was like an overnight announcement, I remember, where they appointed him as like a emergency services commissioner, like the chief commissioner, I think they Referred to him as there for a little while, but I don't think the other commissioners appreciated that. No, they a probably r- wouldn't have. <laughs> re- report to someone, and it re- happened really quickly and it got unwound just as quickly, I think. Yeah, and, and I, uh, it was quite a strange thing that happened there when it, that little blip, but um, yeah.
1: So when it got introduced, I was in volunteer land, yeah. um, and there was probably, you know, rough, uh, feathers ruffled and, yeah. you know, people that weren't happy with it, but from a volunteer perspective, when it, it came through, it didn't really affect us that much. We knew that, you know, we, we put the, the wet stuff on the hot stuff. Yeah, and yeah, right. So from that perspective, we didn't see much. Yeah. Um, And now that I'm, you know, in the uh, ESA um, as staff, all that, you know, storming, norming that would have occurred, you know, nearly 20-odd years ago, yep. that's all done and dusted and we all know where we sit within the hierarchy. And, um, you know, as we said, we support each other operationally, but – it's those um, back-end services, the enabling services that um, having them as supporting all four. Yeah, um, they do a phenomenal job. Yeah. in the way that's set up.
0: Yeah, it seems like an efficient model, that's for sure. But um, you w- was it anything in particular? Well, obviously there was a catalyst in two thousand and three from those fires that generated this change. So was that was that because of some level of disconnect between the agencies or misunderstandings or something like that in 2003?
1: Yeah, 2003 was, I think, a pivotal point. Like, it significant um, uh, fire, you know, uh, four deaths, nearly 600 houses. Yeah. And I think they used that as an opportunity to, you know, scrap it and, and have a look at how they – because originally it was the Emergency Services Bureau uh, and then they introduced the Emergency Services Agency and the Emergency oh. Act was developed. So – you know, sometimes there's that overreaction when there is a, a significant event. Yeah. Um, but I think this this was a bit of a, an opportunity to to actually look at it, restructure, and, and see how it yeah, better okay. fitted to the, the ACT, considering we are such a small jurisdiction um, with a very flat structure. Even with government, we don't have the local
0: yeah, um, yeah. government
1: areas like some do. We haven't got um, you know city councils and. Yeah. Uh and the like. So um it's a, a model that works very, very well for the ACT. Mm. Um it's like everything. There's there's always some some issues you think, oh, that could be done better. But um that happens in all areas of both government and the private sector mm. as well. Mm.
0: So tell us a little bit about what it was like being a you know a dedicated volunteer. And obviously you you um pr- promoted through the ranks in the volunteer um Realm. So, how, what was that like as a, like as a, as a person? I guess trying to balance your main job, which is obviously, you know, quite, quite involved. Yeah. Um, with that other role, with that other life, with, with that other life that you sort of lead, I guess, from time to time when that pager goes off or the phone call.
1: Yeah. It's, um, I, I loved it from the, the first minute I stepped in and, it's, it's not really about the fires. It's actually about the people. Um, and that's again, a bit of a, a bit of a cliche that everyone says that, but it is, it's the, it's the people that draw me to it. Um, I have got a, a tendency to be a bit of a, a workaholic in the sense that I'll throw everything into my job and I was throwing everything into volunteering as well. Um, luckily when I started the volunteering, I was, um, single at the time and then as I've progressed through, you know, I've obviously met my wife, we've had a family and everything. So from from a family perspective, we haven't really known anything different. Yeah, right. Um, so that's been quite lucky. We have I've seen people, you know, marriages have broken down and, and everything else, unfortunately, and, you know, volunteering was a, a factor in that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd, I'd have to give probably my wife the, the credit for everything that I've achieved because without her support, <laughs> Particularly when you, you know, um, I remember the 03 fires in particular. Our son at the time was about five months old, six months old, oh. you know, and, you know, here I am racing off, not knowing when I'll be back. You know, I yeah. knew I was safe, what I was doing, but she didn't know that. And yeah. young family and everything. But um, when we had our own business, that was challenging. Obviously, if I didn't work, I didn't get paid, yeah. uh, then I had the responsibility of staff to go on top of that. So I, I sort of took a, not a backward step, but um, those longer deployments, you know, going away for five days at a time became quite difficult. Yeah. Um, but those, those captain roles then become a bit more of an administrative, um, you know, you, you manage the brigade and you send the people out to, to do those jobs.
0: Yeah, right. What role were you in during the 2003 fires? Uh,
1: so at that, that time, I was a senior deputy captain, um, which we've got a, a structure here of, of captain, senior deputy captain, then deputy captains. Right. And then we've got an administrative side, which is um, president and secretary treasurer. So the, the operational side is, is predominantly the, the lead yep. side. So uh, effectively, I was second in charge of the, the brigade at the time.
0: Yeah, right. Could you give us a rundown on what, what that was like, because I I think most people would remember the, the pictures and the news stories, but um, and a lot of people got sent down here probably uh, after the main um, event. Yeah, uh, but yeah, just give us a rundown on what that was like to be literally here on the spot.
1: So I remember the if we go back two weeks um, before when it started the the original lightning strikes, I remember that we were stood up here. Um, so for those listening, stood up means we're we're at the station got a full crew waiting for something to start because yep. it was an elevated fire day. Um, and I remember the, the, the original lightning strikes and the, the very small wispy plumes could actually be seen from where we are here. You could look out to the west and you could see they that right. they'd started. So we went and got an early dinner thinking, well, if we are going to go out, we'll be out all night. Um, we didn't get uh, to get the call. Um, so then for the next um, two weeks, give or take, um, we were out in the mountains um, doing day shifts, night shifts. Um, there was a lot of um, strategic backburning to try right. and um, keep it in a, in a box and, and everything else. And then on um, the Friday, so the, the big firestorm hit on the Saturday. And on the Friday afternoon, I got a call to, um, to get up to the shed and and crew a vehicle to go out to Tibinbilla Nature Reserve, which is out to the west of the ACT. Yep. Uh, it was under threat, and I spent that night out there um, just putting out spot fires that were coming through from some ember attacks. Fire was still a fair way um, away from the urban interface at that time. Yep. Um, we then got some houses that were, um, they were ranger huts within the, the reserve. So we got those ready. Um, in anticipation the fire may come through. Um, and during the middle of that night, there was a significant run that came through uh, Coran Forest and to the um, west of Thawa, but again, still a, a fair way away from the, the urban interface. We then had some damage to a, a vehicle that we had, um, yeah, right. which is not uncommon, unfortunately, with yeah. um, the environment we work in. And at that time... Our workshops were over in Canberra, which is a, a suburban um, suburb in the, pretty much in the centre of the ACT if you look at it from a map. Yep. So um, we dropped the vehicle off there expecting it to be fixed and then we would jump back in it that night and do a, a swing shift into the evening. Again, fires were still a long way away from the ACT and then um, got back here, we went home. I probably got a couple of hours sleep and then I don't know why Woke up and thought, no, this doesn't feel right. Um, made my way up here to the shed and we jumped in the truck. The vehicle had been re- repaired at that point. Right. Um, and then we, we literally ran into that firestorm. Um, and you, you would never expect the, the fire run, the intensity um, that occurred within that very, very short period of time. Usually um, we would work with another crew yeah, um, very rarely do we actually work with another crew that whole um, remainder of that shift. Right. Um, we went into um, Deeks Drive, Buchanan um, Drive, that where the, the big impacts were. Uh, the fire front came through there, surface fire, crown fire in, in different times, so right. it didn't just come through once. Um, we went to Western Police Complex. Uh, at the time, which is where the, the police college was. Um, they had the Bali bombing evidence in there, which we were asked to protect right. um, as much as we could. So we, we did a lot of work in there. Um, it was the, the difficult decision.
0: things you never think of, like the importance no, of some of those no, like internationally significant events. Correct, uh, yeah,
1: and we weren't aware either, but yeah. they said – you know, that's, um, that's a key building over there if you can protect that. And they sort of told sure. us why. Um, and it's, the, it's those funny things that you remember to, to try and get your way through. There was an ember must have got in to the building and the carpet was on fire. So you know, we broke the window to, to put that out. And, you know, here we were thinking, oh, cool. We just broke a window at a police complex. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, we've which been waiting we a long time to do exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we sort of covered that up and, 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 kept going. Um, but you know, just to drive down a road or a street, I should say, and knowing that, um, we'd already made the decision that if a house was on fire, it stayed on fire and right. protect the exposures. Um, because it was better to protect the exposures yeah. than, than really try and fight and put out a, a house that was probably not. You know, pretty, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, just house after house and just the sheer destruction. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't just one street deep. It was you know, multiple streets deep yeah. that you would never have thought it'd go that far back. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they've done some studies and, and determined why some of those streets were impacted as the way they were. Yeah. Um, but again, we had those funny moments where there was, you know, houses that had a, a for sale sign and had a sold sticker on it. You know, we're thinking, oh, that's just reduced in, in cost. <laughs> it's just that that yeah. way of trying to deal yeah. with, um, with that, you know, the enormity of what actually just happened. Um, we, as a crew, saved two people out of um, Stromlo Forestry Settlement at the time. Right. Like, we do not know how they survived. Um, and one of our crew members said, oh, I've just seen two people in there. And we're like, no, nah, you can't. Have. And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, definitely there's two people. we backtracked and, and pulled them out, I don't think they would have survived. I'm surprised they'd survived to that point. They definitely wouldn't have survived. And you're further.
0: talking about in like a burning, a burnt structure or something. Uh, was it or? was
1: a, so it was an old forestry settlement inside a pine plantation. So it's where the forestry workers in their depot used to be. Right. And these people had taken shelter under an old hydrant that was there and God. just kept them down. But we went back there towards the end of our shift um, to assist another crew with a, a structure that um, had got into a roof uh, and very, very close by was where, unfortunately, one of the people had, um, had passed away through the, the extent of the fire yep. and that, that in itself just, it, it haunted me for many, many, many years. Yeah. I was, uh, was that individual there when we were there? Had they already passed? Um, the fact that these two people had survived it was a shock to us.
0: Yeah, of course. So,
1: just yeah. um, yeah, it was a, a very plants trying that, time.
0: Plants that what if or yeah, you know, retrospective yeah. thing thinking. It sort of gives you all of those other alternative mm-hmm. outcomes, doesn't it? The,
1: the sheer magnitude of the the destruction was was amazing. Mm um it's really hard to put into words the volunteers actually made a book and it was called uh, the title was what you wouldn't believe and what it was was a a photographic um collage and and a story of that um two and a bit week campaign and it was our way of of i suppose um dealing with some of the emotions and the challenges Mm. that followed that particular incident but the title itself explains you, you. You would not believe it until you'd actually mm. seen it, lived it, um, and understood the the sheer destruction. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And I, I was actually uh, a podcast I did recently uh, talks to that point exactly with uh, Doctor Dan Pronk. He talks about that. Know, that sympathy or empathetic group, mm. the ones that truly get it are those people that have been there, done that with you or or something very similar in your sort of same work um, yeah domain I guess um, it, you know it's very hard it's a very hard thing to try and get someone else to understand what that was like.
1: and we just had the twentieth um, year anniversary, um, and it was interesting it was a formal event right but then just speaking to a lot of those that had you know been part of the O3 fires n- nearly every firefighter you spoke to felt they'd left the community down. Um, they, you know, our job is to protect the community at, you know, life, property, and the environment. And, yeah. you know, we'd lost lives, we lost property. Um, and there was genuine, we, we obviously felt we'd left our, our community down. Um, and then there was that, that blame game that, that sort of followed. So the volunteers and the paid staff, yeah, um, we were, were really out in a bit of a, a limb and, and was sort of getting a, a bit of um, pushback, and yeah. you know, and quite rightly, there was a lot of emotions. There was a lot of destruction. Um, you know, people, houses that you know would you would never thought to be in a bushfire prone area, um, were, were literally we're down to rubble. Yeah, yeah. so it was um, it was a challenging time.
0: Yeah, right. Gee, what a it's you think of that impact that's had on those individuals for, you know, 20 years later, they're still, mm. you know, as you said, blaming themselves in some way for not doing better or, or um, you know, the circumstances that were thrown at them on the night.
1: And we also didn't have the the support networks that we've got now, um, which, you know, which goes back to what you're doing with your, your walk. Mm. Um, 20 years ago, there was nothing there. You sort of had to, to deal with it yourself. Mm. Um, and... You know, we all, through sharing stories over many, many years, realised that you weren't alone, and you all felt that you know sense of not only leading the community down, but then also you know the, the um, normality and the size of the incident. You you couldn't have done anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, if you ever get a chance, um, look back at the two thousand and three twentieth anniversary and Dr Rick McRae, um, did a phenomenal job um, in explaining the intensity of the fire, how Pyro CV, um, Category 3 tornado hit the ACT at the same time. So there was a lot of houses lost due to the destruction of the tornado, not necessarily the fire. Right. Um, the, the lateral movement of the, the fire, there was so many things that, that actually happened in that significant period that um, you really were, had no chance. Um, and I suppose you look back on it now, the the houses that were saved, and and only to have four lives lost. Four is too many, but there there could have been a significant more. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Rick really had a, a good presentation uh, in his speech, which outlined exactly what we we're facing on that right. particular day.
0: Yeah, interesting. I'll I'll definitely look that up. Yeah, and um, yeah, I'll put I'll put a link in the uh, podcast notes yeah. actually of that. That that'd be really interesting. So. I'd like to understand from your personal perspective that you've been literally deployed for two weeks constantly leading up to that uh, as a result of the the conditions and everything that was going on. what's that what's that actually like? because i I must admit I've never um, I suppose the, those sort of deployments for me have always been my day job as mm. well. So, uh, usually, um, what's that like when you're trying to manage a business and everything else? Yeah. Because like, <laughs> life doesn't stop just because no, there's it, an event going on in your volunteer life. No, so it, how do you
1: manage that? It's um, a very good understanding family. Um, we always talk about, you know, the RFS volunteers, but it's actually the broader RFS family which allow the volunteers to to do what they do. And it is, it's, it's a slog. It's it's not out, um, so us as a brigade, we didn't have the same people. We've obviously got that redundancy. But you're also, um, you're quite mindful if you've got, you know, peers and, and you know, very close friends that are actually out on the fire line. So you're always interested in, in their welfare and mm. making sure they're coming home. Uh, and life does continue. Um, but you sort of get into that, um, you switch into that, um, firefighter mode and, and work mode. And unfortunately, that does come at a, a bit of a, a cost to families because you, you shift your priorities. Obviously, your family is always your number one priority, um, but they understand and you understand that there's actually a, a job to do there as well. And then if you look at the the 1920 season, um, so 2019-2020 season, mm. um, the ACT, we were – um, we had someone on the fire ground for nearly six months every day, um, somewhere within North Queensland all the way down to Victorian border. So it's that um, trying to support the members, but it's that, that broader network that – and it's not just the, the families, it's their friends, but also the employers yep. allowing members to, to deploy. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's – a it's a challenging time um, for everyone, but um, we also then encourage people to, you know, volunteering is your your third priority um, and you you need to sort of try and get a balance, but we understand um, that when it's on, it's, it's quite intense and and can be challenging, but also can be quite rewarding on the other, other spectrum of that as well. I
0: wouldn't mind touching on, The Black Summer fires, the 1920 fires, Mm. and for you, obviously you were in a different role by that stage, so could you just explain maybe what that fire event was like for you?
1: Yeah, so my role back then was the um, Director of Operations, so responsible for the, the capability and... Uh, resourcing um, both physical and um, materialistic and making sure that um, we could uh, meet our legislative responsibility. We got our first call at the end um, of August to deploy to far north Queensland and we were flying crews up there. And when I talk far north Queensland, we're up near Rockhampton. Wow. Um, Cairns area, so a long way up. Um, and then as the fire season um, Progressed into severity, or um, fuels became more available, and we were talking, you know, a prolonged drought led into this. Yeah, we then sort of followed the fire season down into the the you know the, the mid north coast, central coast, you know, into that um, Newcastle region, yeah. and then we, we slowly progressed down. Um, so for six months, yeah, we we had someone on the fireground somewhere, um, and we we're moving crews in and out. I look back on it and think um, it's like our grand final. You, you train and you train and you, you're part of the service and, and that to me was our grand final. Um, probably not something I'd want to do again. Yeah. Having said that, when I look back on it, um, we learnt as a service and as a nation, I think, um, tenfold, probably mm-hmm. even more than that. Um, and as our depth and experience here, I couldn't put a cost on it. I couldn't train our people to to what the levels they got with all their deployments. Yeah, right. So that's the positives that, that we take out of it. Um, but it was it was relentless. Um, you know, even getting crews away, there's there's a lot of work that goes on to get a crew ready to deploy. Yep. Then we, we you know, meet them at the, um, the airport and, and the like. But it's also, you know, you've got to manage – the the local day to day business as usual yeah yeah and then obviously towards the end of that season uh, in January ACT got a, a fire of our own which um, we thought were quite lucky and and may have avoided but uh, we did get a eighty five thousand mm. hectare fire which took out a, a high percentage of the, the Manji National Park yeah right so um, yeah challenging um, but also too uh, there was a, a lot of really rewarding. Moments, and I think as a service, the members grew a lot closer together yeah, um, okay. because it got to the point they were deploying, um, different brigades were deploying, more well, cross crewing vehicles um, because some deployments were you know, quite difficult to get a vehicle from one brigade. So we would, would co um, crew. Oh, okay. It. Yeah, right, right. Um, you know, and those things, uh, again, they're the big positives that we we got out of that season. Do you
0: think the people involved? Had a different sentiment about the, that event versus the Canberra 3 fires. Um,
1: yeah, I, I think it's it's hard to compare, but um, the the nineteen twenty season, I, I think, from a, a service, probably drew us closer together um, because it was so prolonged and so many different opportunities to to go into other jurisdictions, different vegetation types. Where the O three fires, um, we felt a little bit. Um, members became a little bit withdrawn in the sense that there was a lot of um, community anger. It yeah. was a local event where the nineteen twenty season predominantly was an away game for us. So we, yeah, we crossed okay. the border and went to somewhere else. So, in um, different types, uh, the, the nineteen twenty season being so long, you, you sort of got into a routine and a pattern. But the the O three fires the first two weeks were a bit of that routine and yep. pattern but then yep. all of a sudden bang and you are a real eye opener so um yeah quite different different event yeah, yeah And yeah. i guess
0: it's not in not in your patch when they're, no, when they're away on deployment that's right
1: yeah. um but again you know it's we have people away in incident management teams and yeah, right. um and there's different skill sets too now yep. the use of aviation um so again we have people that were going to those specialist skill sets, which we didn't normally have back in 03. Yeah, either. yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I'd, lo- I'd love to talk about the changes that have happened uh, in a little while, but from your perspective, I know you did a few things after the 1925s, mm-hmm. and one of those things was the RESET program. Uh, can you just explain to us what, what that program was about and what, what, it, what it set out to achieve and what it actually did achieve?
1: Yeah, so... I suppose one of the the negatives after the 1920 season was there was significant firefighter fatigue. Um, our own fire here in in the ACT, um, some of the members got a, um, quite upset and quite rightly on a few few topics there. So as a service, we we sort of had a a very open look as to how we conduct ourselves, how we support our members, and part of that was was I got. Um, captains and presidents so the leadership group from each brigade in and we talked about um, what's working what's not working and, and one of the key things that came out of that was we train our people to be exceptional firefighters and, and which they are i've got no doubt about that and mm. i'd hang my hat that they're 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 up there as some of the best that we've got but we weren't teaching them to be leaders uh in a um not just in a in a leadership style but a leader in a in a volunteer organization. But then it's also that understanding of what support we've got as well. So you compare 1920 to 2003, a very successful peer support program, a very successful um, employer assistance program. We had none of that in 03. So yeah, okay. part of that was just encouraging people to to uptake and talk about it. And I suppose one of those things would, to go back to how we compared 1920 to, to 03, those that were around in 03 knew the importance of, of of talking about it and seeking help where needed and learning from those, um, I suppose, those uh, after-action reviews and the like and and implementing some of that. So that's where that part of that reset was, was to have a bit of a look where we are now, where have we come from, and where do we want to be into the future? Mm. And it's not just about the firefighting. Yes, that's our key legislative responsibility, but how can we support the members in both training um and mental health and but also um as mentioned earlier it's about the family so we need to also try and do something to keep the families and make sure they're feeling supported and part of the, the service because it's it's not just about the 500 odd members that we've currently got
0: yeah 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 yeah. it's a broader network than that isn't it, it and i think that goes with a lot of emergency service roles <laughs> and even like you know,
1: we've we've got an employee recognition scheme now um where members nominate their employer, um, it's a certificate, yep. but it's those little things where we bring the, the employers in, yeah,
0: okay. um,
1: for a, an event and, you know, we acknowledge them in front of, you know, other, um, businesses that, uh, support right. the volunteering. So it's those little things that, um, people, you know, may look at it as, oh, that's a, it's only a small thing. Yeah. It's actually significant because the, the employer feels that they're, um, they're, you know, they're giving their employee time away. Contributing—that's that a significant way. Yeah. Um, contribution they're making to the, not only to the um, to the service, but yeah. also to their community as well. So yeah, yeah, it's um, things like that.
0: There must be something about my caravan dolly. Everywhere <laughs> I go, cockatoos turn up yeah. and start. <laughs> if it's not cockatoos, as Corellas, <laughs> damn things. Anyway, yeah, that would be right. Yeah, radio. Um, that—that's a good initiative. Like for, for the employers because, like as you said, w- without their support you don't have the member. And no, that's yeah, right. It's what a, what a great initiative that is.
1: But even talking to them, you know, when we have these events, and we only do it um, once a year and, um, and only if we need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last couple of years we haven't needed to, um, not that the employees aren't um, supporting the volunteers, but we haven't had any significant events to, to, yeah, to so, warrant that. Yeah, right. But we also, you know, discussed the importance of releasing members for training um, and also for hazard reduction burns because previously a lot of employers saw, oh, it's just an incident. That's all I can release you for. But you then explain that, well, if you're sending a staff member and and us sending that person as a volunteer onto a, a course, that then has flow on effects to their business as well. Yeah. Um, so it's not just a, a course for firefighting, but it, it might be another course that actually has those those benefits to everyone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Investing in the sort of in the individual too. Yeah. yeah, yeah for sure. Well, we'd like to talk a little bit about how the. ACT Rural Fire Service and the ESA more broadly is uh I suppose maybe adapting or adjusting or improving how they prepare their people to deal with these these big events. Because yes. as you said, like the O the three fires twenty years on has still left a scar on many members. And uh I'm sure that's a case on a on a more micro scale for other mm. more local Incident level things that are high impact on those involved in it. So, what's the, what do you see as the changes or the improvements in in that preparatory piece to try and get those individuals and and their families, as you said, but to get them ready, I guess, to endure those stress events that they will in, in, invariably encounter.
1: Yeah, no, no, I think we can. Look at this in two ways. So there's the individual, but there's also how the the government has has made changes to improve um, the way that um, urban development is is planned. Now um, there's no more um, big pine forests on on the edge of, of suburbia, and we've got really good asset protection zones. So whilst that is a a physical and, and planning um, improvements yep. and to. Re- that's that's a way of government to try and reduce those big fires, so that's then going to hopefully reduce that impact onto our our members. Yeah. So, okay. Um, yeah. Whilst they um, that was born to reduce um, fire risk, it's also um, reduces firefighter um, exposure exposure yeah. and risk as well. Yeah, so look at it from a holistic view there, but um, from a volunteer perspective and from an RFS perspective. Um, we're one of the only jurisdictions that has a a mandatory fitness test so all our members must do a fitness test um, uh every season um to become active
0: how long have they been doing that
1: uh it'll be good 15 plus years now wow so every year um we all put the the pack on and we we do our our fitness walk um which again gives them it it's not the the most accurate um
0: of course. But at least there's some measure there because there's I know there's there, that sort of stuff's in its implementation phase in New South Wales, fire rescue, I yeah, know that. Yeah. yeah, so
1: everyone everyone here whether um and in the agency um ESA we're the only service that has that as well. Oh okay. A volunteer Within, service. Okay. Yeah, yeah. right. Um but that in itself means that the brigades train, so you, you do your, your couple of walks and it yep. gets people talking. So yep. it's that constant feeling of um, being in a team, um, open and honest communication, um, and it's, that sort of gets those, that um, sense of trust and, yeah. and, and camaraderie um, being developed there. We've got a, um, a lot better, um, like I said before, the, the peer support program. Mm-hmm which um, sup- not surprisingly, but um, the, the data shows that even post-1920 and into COVID, um, the uptake on that was, um, was very surprising in the sense that the numbers went up, but it's actually good to see that people are reaching out and using it. Yeah. And that is um, volunteers trained up through a, a very extensive course to become peer support to peers. Obviously, that's what it is. Um, we've got a very strong chaplaincy program uh, within the agency and we've got a, a very good uh, employee assistance program. So um, whilst they're, they're volunteers, they're actually then considered a an employee of the ACT government for things like workers' compensation and employee yep. assistance and the like. And that also extends into their family. So if you're a, a member of the service, your family can then uh, tap into any of these um, services as well yeah, okay. because of obviously that broader um, uh, appeal to what we do and support our members. Yeah. Um, we've just started a female network as well, so trying to get um, a different approach to uh, the female volunteer. Yeah, yeah. Now we've got very strong female numbers and percentages, and we're not trying to get a fifty-fifty or anything like that because at the end of the day, we are a service and. That the members are come from all different diverse and, yeah, right. um, and gender backgrounds but we we had um, a meeting with some of the volunteers female volunteers and it's it's things like female only training um, so that they can feel um, a lot more open to trying things that they wouldn't normally um, go uh, to. yeah right so it was interesting. We went to the first female network meeting there was about 30 females there from the brigade uh, sorry from the service I knew. Nearly all of them through you know, yeah, yeah. multiple interactions. There was a couple of new members which I um, knew by face, but not necessarily um, on a personal level. And that was my light bulb moment. Thirty females, and I was the only male there, chief officer, to uh, you know welcome them and explain the intent of the the workshop. And then I was mm. um, going to sit to the side. But my light bulb moment there was I knew exactly how they felt at that particular time. You're, you're that minority in such a, a you know, a, yeah, a, a big factory. Yeah. So it was flipped. I knew exactly what they meant. So, um, so that was actually really successful. Sure. Um, so going back to preparing our members, it's, it's knowing what services they do have, um, our annual briefings to, ex, you know, to let them know what they could potentially be exposed to. And um, that constant listening to what the members want and how things change so there's been a deliberate shift in the way volunteering was done say you know 20 years ago Mm. when i was it was out here to where it is now where we we're there to support um from a headquarters perspective and try and reduce the impacts on their volunteering so that they can still give just as much but um by doing less the impact to the family Mm. and when i say that it's it's things like paperwork and and getting some of the training courses and the materials and supporting them um, so that their time um, not spent on a, an incident ground is actually significantly reduced, which is then, in, you know, time that they can spend with their family as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah, wow. Sounds like a great program. I've, I've not heard of anything else like I've not heard of anything like that.
1: Yeah, we're, again, we're, we're quite unique yeah. um, in the sense that we are a small jurisdiction.
0: Do you think give, that gives you that flexibility to try – different things that might be a bit too hard to implement in a bigger organization or?
1: I think it does. Yeah. Um, and again, it's that, um, very shallow structure that, you know, um, any member can contact me any, you know, any day or time of the day or night. Um, but, but they can, and they do. Um, I'm, I don't think you can get that connection with other jurisdictions because of the sheer numbers as yeah. well. So we're, we're, you know, we've been called the Boutique Brigade and yeah. Boutique Service and everything. But if you look at what we as a small service can actually produce, we punch well above our weight Yeah, right. uh, in what we do. And, I th- yeah, I think that allows us to try some of those yeah. more interesting things like the, the fitness test, for example. Um, you know, that's pretty unique across Australia. It is,
0: yeah.
1: We're the only, you know, service that it's mandatory that – so be, to be active you have to have completed your fitness test. Yeah, working with vulnerable peoples card, you know, they're the bare minimums before you can even be considered active for uh, that current season. Yeah, right.
0: And I, I, you know, that's all so well linked to good mental health as well. I think that's yeah. a you know, there's a lot of linkages there, not just to physical capability, but you're checking your members are actually looking after themselves physically and
1: yeah. And we're we, you know, we've got some speaker series that we've we've tried to introduce and and bringing, um. Different speakers in. So one of our our first was a, a psychologist uh, who actually happens to be a volunteer member as well, mm-hmm. uh, and she talked about what is resilience um, as an individual, as a service, as a community, uh, and that was a, a very insightful um, presentation. So again, we're giving our members all these different tools to to round out their volunteering and to hopefully um, use that those tools not in their their volunteering. But also in their their work life yeah. and also their family life. Private so life. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's um, just looking at different opportunities. So are
0: they face to face things or virtual things or how are they doing? that?
1: Uh, a bit of both. Yeah, okay. Um, during uh, COVID, obviously with oh, everything yeah. becoming was, yeah. uh, virtual, we tried to keep members engaged, and we had some um, speaker uh, online speaker series. Um, one of those is the. Thai cave rescue, where the the sockets are. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one of our members has got a very strong connection to one of the AFP leaders on that. So that person came in and, and spoke about teamwork and you know dynamic situation and how you overcome, but in a safe way. So hmm. it's um it's interesting how our members can take a lot away from those those individual speaker series and. Um, we've found that obviously in, in person then generates those flow on conversations after yeah, the event. Yeah. Um, where a, a virtual one is once it's finished, it's done. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's just mm. looking for those things outside the box, but we don't want to overwhelm the volunteer. Yeah, there's um, a fine balance there in those yeah.
0: volunteer capacity. <laughs> so it's
1: um, yeah. even with our weekly newsletter, um, you know, we, we try and keep them updated weekly. We went through the whole vlog thing where we would give our updates on, on video. Um, and we've got to keep adjusting to what the audience and what the members want as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, sure. Yeah, interesting. I, I, uh, I, I don't like the concept of some of these really important issues being dealt with by e-learning packages that are yeah. just thrown at someone saying you've got to do that in the next, you know, three months. Yep. Cause that everybody gives it as much, uh, I guess, as much attention as, the, as you know, you, you probably should s- expect uh, and, and that is, you know, click, click, click as fast as I can and get through yeah. it. And, and, um, and it
1: shouldn't be that way, but um, yeah. you know, it, it, is, it It feels like you're ticking a box.
0: Yeah, that's right. And, and unfortunately sometimes that's how the, internally the organisations push it is, you know, you have to do this, this and this because they've got to be ticked off on the system, otherwise it will generate a, bung
1: yeah where we um i mean the the stable diet of a as a firefighter is a sausage sandwich <laughs> um, and we we try and get out to brigades um yeah. on a rotation basis and cook sausages as they're turning up um to start training for the evening yeah and it's those those conversations and it's not just between us and them but it means the members also stop they grab a sausage you know they have yeah. a chat to each other it's it's yeah. um, that in itself is is probably a better way of of introducing and yeah, um, for sure that looking it's out for each other
0: much more genuine, I think exactly you know, than the uh, mass-produced e-learning package models. But yeah, and I think the volunteer agencies, in all honesty, I think they do that a lot better that personal engagement and socialisation aspect around what's the job.
1: And I think that's um, that's the beauty about volunteering. And it's not just in the emergency services you know Australia has the ethos of, of volunteering but it it's actually people like you look at the RFS for example, if I was to set that up as a workplace and employ the five hundred odd members that we've got that would be completely different I think yeah. because of the way that you know we go about recruitment and um, you know position descriptions and everything else where volunteering they want to do it because they've got the passion for the community and then we we sort of turn them into firefighters. Yeah. But because of the, the broad skill set and the broad diversity that they do bring, it actually makes that volunteering so much better and um, yeah. so much um, different personalities. And um, that's why I think the, the volunteering you know, mindset is um, what Australia is pretty much built on and how it should stay.
0: Yeah. Gee, I tell you, in the last couple of years, it's certainly been on, on display. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. yeah look at the poor SES at the moment. They're going yeah. through <laughs> They're having our 1920 season now.
0: Yeah, they definitely are. Gee. So, Rowan, your your name came up through one of the Heart to Heart Walk uh, planning group members, Billy, and I'd just like to know uh, for you personally, and also from the. ACT RFS perspective as well. What does that mean for you to be supportive of the walk and its purpose? Um,
1: yeah, so Billy currently is working with the RFS, um, and just hearing Billy's story and he's is very open and, and honest with us. And when the walk and he's not afraid to tell you either. No, and he'll tell you in <laughs> in um, probably three hundred words more than what he needs to. But that's what I love about Billy um no just knowing that um what it was going to do for him uh, at, on a personal level um yeah. obviously i've got um want to support the staff but what it's going to be doing on a, on a broader scale for first responders um and having uh, had some issues um myself after the o3 fires um and just knowing the importance of of that whole mental health and 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 talking about things and and looking for ways to support um, so when Billy said, I'm doing this walk, um, we said, look, we'd love to help you where we can. Mm. Um, and, you know, knowing now that it's been kicked off officially this week is is really exciting. I know he's been very passionate and I know quite a few of you have done a lot of work to get it to the point where it is. Uh, and hopefully this uh, will become a, a bigger thing. Uh, and already I know you've got that really strong supported network with um, people coming on board to yeah. to, you know, obviously recognize the, what you're doing is, is important uh, and will be um, utilised by a lot of people into the future.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, your, your support uh, personally and, you know, from from your organisational point of perspective as well is, is really, I mean, I think it's really meaningful for people that are involved in the walk to actually see the organisations that, that they're from or peripherally mm. from actually behind them uh, because I can understand how some might be a little defensive going, well, hang on a minute, we've got all these things sorted out now. There's no, you, you know, I, I get that flip side. Um, but, yeah, it is it is really good for, for the people to see senior leadership position uh, holders supporting what, what we're actually doing. That's great.
1: Yeah, and, um, and there is, there's a lot of organisations out there that are doing great work. Um, and I think we, you know, support organisations where we can. But this one in particular has got a very personal element um, to us, yeah. and we we can see where that's um, you know going to sort of then flow on to the greater not just the RFS but the, the ESA as well. Yeah. Even um, I forgot to mention earlier, we've sent some people on some um, forging courses, um, and some sculpture courses, and we've done some arts programs. You know, even if we get one extra person on a course, you know, out of the 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 heart-to-heart walk yeah um that that in itself is a, a significant um investment into our members so you know knowing that um you're out there trying to raise, raise awareness and and money yeah. for first responders which then allows us um to potentially um leverage off some of those not so um seen as mainstream ways of um, yeah. of of doing you know um members welfare and it's interesting um, I suppose we've digressed a little bit, but those those sculptures and those arts programs uh, and the forging stuff uh, has been a significant improvement on people's well-being. Cause, yeah, great. Again, they're so
0: – So they're members, like active members that you've sent on correct. those programs. Correct, yes, yeah. Right. yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so whilst they're, they're banging the, the crap out of, um, you know, molten yeah, metal that's hot been steel. red hot yeah. steel – they're then talking about their their experiences and, and how they're feeling, and it's it's done in what they can then consider to be a safe environment yeah. because they've um got the same interests, they've been drawn together through their volunteering and through their firefighting. But um, yeah. and it may even be a conversation about something that's not even fire related, yeah. but it's something that's happening at home or um, just it's sitting back and yeah, <laughs> just sitting back and listening. Yeah. But um, you know, if we can get even one extra person to that. Yeah. Um that for us is a, a a good improvement.
0: That that's one thing I've definitely learnt uh in the things that I've done since I uh since 2021 when I I was quite unwell is there's no one size fits all there's no um you know there's absolutely no uh template that you can say oh this is what people should do because it's so individual but as you said like you know blacksmithing might be fantastic for a handful of people and other mm. people might get more out of equine therapy, Exa- wh- exactly. whatever the spectrum is. But uh, it, it's definitely I, – I think these sort of non-traditional approaches are so beneficial. And actually, in all honesty, that's what started this off, this podcast yeah. off was that, um, you know, I I found a whole bunch of benefit and validation and – uh you know, out of podcasts when I, was, when I needed it and I found it. And, uh, and one thing I, I couldn't find much of was content that was from Australian emergency services and yeah. police. And I yep. went, wow, that's a big gap there. I'd, I would have loved to have found more of that content.
1: And, you know, you look at um, podcasts, you know, we, we all listen to them now, um, whatever your interest is. Um, so if, if producing a podcast is your way of yeah. – um, it's your outlet – um that means that I could potentially listen to this podcast as I'm walking around the lake, which is my outlet. So yeah. there's those constant linkages and, and flow ons. Um yeah, yeah. and I, I agree the the constant mainstream, you know, way of doing things, we've we've got to look outside the box on Exactly. That. Yeah, for sure. And that's been proven like um like I said, these sculptures and, and art stuff. Um, yep. you know, they're only one of of many, many options, but I've seen the the significant benefits that has, um, which, you know, 10 years ago probably would have been frowned upon. Yeah, exactly.
0: It would have been laughed out of the yeah. room. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I'm interested in knowing from your, uh, uh, orga- like, organisationally, and not, not necessarily speaking on behalf of ACT Rural Fire or ESA or anything like that, but um, from an organisational perspective, how... How hard is it to offer support to former members? Um, from a, a volunteer
1: perspective, um, I can't really speak on the, the paid services because um, I don't have that much um, to do with them in that regard in HR stuff. But for us, once they leave the service there, we really don't have that much contact with them. Yeah. Um, and it was only recently, I think it might've been Billy even mentioned it to me that, you know, how do we, we look at what happens to a, a member, you know, 10, 15, 20 years post their membership. Mm. Um, and it's something that I don't think many volunteer organizations do, do well. Um, and the reason for that is it's something we probably haven't really looked into as to what that, um, you know, delayed or um sort of trauma that we we just haven't looked into it and
0: yeah. i don't think it's just the volunteer agencies that don't do it well i don't think anyone's doing it well
1: at yeah. that well yeah um and it's a space that um uh i i don't think is i mean we could all agree it's not funded as well as it should do
0: yeah.
1: um but i just don't think we we capture that you know once you're out of an organization you're you, you're thanked for your service but we we don't really have a follow-up um, yeah. Or check in, or the, we don't even offer them the ability to check back in with us.
0: Yeah, it's uh, and and some some of the agencies that do I've found have a very tight window on that. So they'll offer like tw- you, you're eligible to get their EAP, Employee assistance programs or yeah. psychological support for twelve months after you leave. But after that, you're on your own. And and it just your conversation before when you were talking about the the twenty year. Um, recognition yeah. of the Canberra fires and you've got people in there that are still troubled by, you know, that event and and their role in that event mm. 20 years later. And, yep. and this is what I think is so poorly overlooked is this stuff doesn't always present and uh, become an issue on the day or prior to the day that you leave.
1: No, and... um you know, just talking with some members, they thought they'd never been, you know, impacted, but all of a sudden there'll be that little trigger and yeah. and they realize, well, yeah, I actually have been impacted. And, um, and again, we, we, we don't look at the, you know, the emergency response element. For some people, that's their, you know, the, the significant contributing factor to what some of their, their issues are. But from a volunteer, it might only be a small, but there's a lot of other compounding issues in their life that we don't sort of know about or we don't follow up on. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, you look at um, even COVID, the, the, um, the increase there in, in the need for support from just the, the public, let alone our emergency yeah. services, you know, responders. Um, yeah, we can do a lot better as a community and invest a lot more time and, and money into that to um, to actually get those support networks that are there and have them prolonged um, for more than, as you said, just a 12-month period because yeah. these things can surface 12 years down the track. Yeah,
0: absolutely, or 20 years down the track. Yeah. And, and it, it seems to me to be even more important for volunteers because they've done what they've done for out of the goodness of their heart, not for... Financial reward at all. It's mm. not been a job. It's been what they've done out of the goodness of their heart and out of interest and out of you know want want to give to their local communities and
1: and you know it's not just and it's not just first responders. You know we've got some of those you know call centres that people volunteer oh, for. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
1: even some of the you know people volunteering in the hospices and and medical facilities. You know they're yeah. all exposed to um, a multitude of of emotions and, and challenges yeah. that we just don't know what the long-term impact yeah. is. And then, uh, unfortunately, once they do realise that they they may have an issue, that uh, support, if they're not no longer in the service or, or your organisation,
0: yeah,
1: um, where do they turn to? They yeah. then get into that you know, public health, and unfortunately that's not um, that well supported at the moment because it's just overwhelmed with the, yeah. the
0: sheer uptake. And it's of, also the impact on the on their life generally like yeah down the track doesn't mean that yeah it it can have long-reaching ramifications yeah and and as you just like you just pointed out um you know course and stuff i i uh, i've had a few people uh touch base with me from this podcast that i haven't heard from for a very long time and Mm. you know just the other day a friend of mine that used to be in the police radio room did it for. Long, long time, and just out of the blue, contact me. And today, hey, I've, you know, unfortunately, I've been diagnosed and with yeah. PTSD and, and uh, finished finished up as a result of that. And I, I, yeah, I don't know how they do that day in, day out, just with people on the other end of the phone in the yeah, you know, constantly, like
1: that's just constant. And then you've got the, you know, obviously the, the crisis call centers where, yeah, exactly, uh, you and I have the ability to call in, you know, anonymous, the things they're listening to yeah um one thing I do going back to our peer support program we we make sure that our peer support people have a um a regular check- in with um with professionals to make sure they're traveling okay because right. they're that middle person that you know people turn to so we've sort of um got to protect the the first responders and our volunteers and our paid staff but we've also got to protect those that uh, supporting them, yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a, a bit of a, a multi-layered approach, and I just um, think we're in that point where where do you start and where do we
0: finish? Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: After the O three fires, um, we we did feel a bit um, left out in in into the cold, and and that as I said earlier, the the way the community reacted, um, and just the the sheer destruction, and and then people wanting you know answers, and mm. um you know you you'd go down the the local street in a uniform, and people would question you, you know, yeah, didn't protect right. my house or or whatever. Um, being at that time, I was. Um, you know, what, mid to late 20s, yep. had a family, um, newly married and everything. I was indestructible, um, you know, didn't affect me. Um, but I do remember a, a tipping point was we're at a local shopping centre and there yep. was a person there who um, was asking for donations and I just, you know, politely declined and said, no, no, thank you. And then this person turned around and said, oh, you need to have a heart. These people need some assistance. They're uninsured and everything. And unbeknown to me, I snapped. I sort of said, well, right. I was on the front line. I've given. Um, I'd love to help, but, you know, I'm here with my family. I didn't realize I had all these emotions and um, everything, you know, from A to B, you know, up to X, Y, Z that were playing on my mind.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and that was a bit of an eye-opener. And my wife sort of said, yep, there's, there's something a bit more there than what you think. But then we had that book that I told you about the What You Wouldn't um, Believe. Yep. And we also – some of the other members um, also produced another book and they told their story. And I, and I read these two books and realized that I, I wasn't alone. Um, what I was feeling was, was quite common with everyone else. Um, but we still weren't that supportive from an agency uh, there wasn't because there wasn't the mechanisms available. It back wasn't then. built into it. Yeah. No. So the local brigade here, we all rallied against each other, and and I think that in itself, the positive that came out of that is that we become a lot closer. Yep. The the families got to know the each other because we we tried to incorporate the families and the members in everything we did. Yep. Um. So, um. There was there was struggles. Um. Nineteen twenty. Um. I felt a lot more comfortable and, and, and the like there. But knowing now what I went through in 03 and I had the ability to, to change it, and will not change it, but to offer those services to our members in 1920, yeah. um, I was very relieved that, um, that we could do that. And we, well, when I say we, the Volunteer Brigades Association, again, produced another book, um, which was that photo um, and storytelling. Yeah, and my. it's amazing how... Um, that in itself um, gives you a lot of um, support and understanding that you're not alone. Yeah, um, there's
0: something about that storytelling piece, isn't there? Whether it's yeah. like listen to it like this or read it or whatever. Yeah, or There's some therapy that comes out of that. I don't, I don't get it, but it, but it, it is. Works. Um,
1: and it's interesting that you, you know, everyone will probably tell you the same story. Oh, it didn't affect me, or mm. I didn't know I was affected, and you, you don't know what that next thing is. When is your bucket going to be yeah. full? Um, yeah. And we've, you know, hopefully, we've got systems now where people's buckets won't get full. Yeah, and um, we'll capture, it, you know, when the bucket's only half full.
0: Yeah, I can only assume that your your personal experience there has helped you, uh, or helped drive you, I guess, to make sure this is not not left behind and focused on going forward as an organisation in the position you're in. Yeah, yeah,
1: and and you know, I've, you know, I've got a duty of care as as a um, as the chief officer, but apart from that, from a, from a legislative side, I've, I've got that vested interest in the volunteer. Yeah. Um, you know, as we've been talking about, the volunteers step up with no remuneration. They just want to help their community. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be exposed to some very challenging situations. So, you know, I'd like to see them supported as best I can, whether it's from an individual or from my role as the chief officer, because, yeah. yeah. um, you know, we need to look after each other and, we all don't know what the next person's going through it, that's um, yeah. that's the other thing and um um you could probably cut this bit out, but um <laughs> just working with billy has has really shown me um the the other side of it, you know how yeah, right. he's very open about his struggles and and how he's um you know helping and, and overcoming some of those and it's It's been exposed to, to different elements of it. It's not just about the firefighting or the paramedics, but how other people are, are dealing with it. And, yep. yeah, we just need to be open and honest with each other as best we can and where you feel comfortable. Yeah. But – um, and have that – this listen.
0: Yeah, and just, just mainstream that narrative of, you know, Look after yourself and, yeah and yeah you you will get buckled in these yep. roles, yeah, because the role the roles are what they are you can't change what you've got to go to, but you know you can look after yourself better than they used to do, but anyway and the this I think the hard part for your experience in two thousand and three, some of the research that I've recently become aware of is if you're involved in an event like that, like a, a really significant event that is subsequently subject to investigations or public or media scrutiny and things like that, that the likelihood of it turning into like an enduring chronic issue, like Mm. mental issue is like three times higher. So if like the event itself on its own, if, if if you put on investigative or media or, you know, political community pressure on it, on you as an individual. And as you said, like people would say stuff to you walking around in uniform after that event. Yep. Um, and, and that has that effect of, you know, making you quite, I guess, paranoid about, you know, what's going to, what's going to happen. who's going to say what next, but that, that compounds that original stress event.
1: I do remember since being in, in, in a paid capacity, you know, January 18 would come around and they'd talk about, oh, it's the anniversary, what are we going to do? You know, media's going to be interested, which they were. And I used to always, you know, subconsciously roll my eyes and go, again, we're going to pull the Band-Aid off again.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, the the, the scar's just starting to heal over and we're going to pull it off again. Yeah. Um, January, the, the 20th anniversary was was another one. Um, Deep down, I always thought that you know yes 100% devastating um but at what point do we do we stop constantly talking about it and and move on i don't think you can always move on but i think that constantly bringing that back to the surface doesn't help a lot of people
0: yeah
1: um but even now we're going through the 1920 um we've got a coronial yeah yeah it's been yeah. delayed now three times um, so I'm part of the coronial. So I know the last time um, I'd got myself, you know, so prepared and it, it's very mentally fatiguing. Yeah, and absolutely. A, again, I, as you said, the your anxiety increases and, and everything else. And then literally at the last minute it got called off due to some – Adjourned um, again. Adjourned yeah. due to some medical issues, which, you know, you, you don't forecast that and you no. don't wish that upon anyone. But I know that that's coming up. Again in April, so you've got to go through the whole process yeah um, build
0: up there's a lot of build up pressure to those yeah. sort of things yeah absolutely, and you can't they are a factor in how you how you manage your yeah. involvement in those events aren't they
1: and whilst it, it it's part of the job for myself and my current role, but um I was lucky to avoid the coronial in two thousand and three, but I know that some volunteers that went through that, and that um that was horrendous. Mm. The 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 motions they went through and again that you know sense of am I being blamed for yeah, something? Exactly. And, um yeah, it's uh, It's very
0: hard not to think that way in that in, in that environment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hey look, we've had a we've had actually a pretty long chat this morning. That's been fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's we've covered a lot of territory. Um I know I mentioned it at the start, being a hot debrief podcast, that I like to ask people those debrief questions of what what went well, what didn't go so well, and what you might do differently. So starting with the first part and looking back over your career, both as a volunteer and that work life balance of being a professional volunteer and, and having another main main line of work and a family and your transition into the role that you're in now. Is there anything, and I'm not talking about a specific event, but is there anything generally that you think went right?
1: A lot of things went right, um, only because of the support that I've had. Um, like, I've, I've met some phenomenal um, people, and, and I still class them as not only a, a peer, but also a friend. So, from that perspective, what went right was my decision to join the RFS as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been incredibly. Privilege to now make it a career. Um, I wouldn't change any of that as to to what's happened. Um, I'm you know I'm very grateful that I did choose volunteering. Um, so yeah, at the moment, um, I would look back on my career and think, yeah, that was a right move, volunteer move.
0: Yeah. yeah. Good on. So uh, I'm sure you've got a pretty long list of things that haven't gone exactly to plan. But yep. is there <laughs> any standout that you can say? I guess influenced your direction uh, significantly as a, as a, as one thing?
1: Um, there's probably a couple of things. Um, you know, we, we're going, we talk about, um, family. I, I probably didn't prioritize them as, as well as I should. Um, in my own mind, I thought I was doing the right thing, but, um, sometimes I, I think I got my priorities around the wrong way. That's from a, a work perspective, yeah. both when I had my business and, um, and it's getting better now. Um, there's a few things there that I, I could have done differently. Um, the The way that the, the volunteers have changed, I've got to continue to, to listen to them and, and adapt to volunteering. Um, so that's one thing that whilst I probably haven't got it wrong, there's been a few things that... Um, I look at back and think, I wouldn't do that now, yeah. that makes sense. Okay, yeah. Um, because volunteering is constantly changing. Yeah, it's a um, dynamic space. Yeah. Which is good. Um, and look, when I joined, it was that Anglo-Saxon male. Um, <clears throat> and it's not that now. It's, it's representing our community. So when I say a few things, you know, in, in yeah, there were a lot of things we get wrong. Um, but it's actually learning from them. And um, I don't think, if I as the chief ever think I've got everything right, that's when I've actually got it wrong, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I should never be complacent and always looking and, and listening to the membership. I always tell the staff that the volunteers are our number one client. Yep. We treat them like a business. We need them to be our repeat customer. They need to keep coming back to us so that we um, have got a, a business model. Yep. So it's listening to the customer um, and also then showing them that support and, and um, respect so that um, we've got that mutual yeah. recognition, and again, we can move forward and you've got your workforce future. exactly a effective
0: workforce. So driving into in through this gate to this shed yep. today if if you could be standing at the gate and have a chat with yourself when you joined at twenty two or twenty three when you said uh, at here at this same shed? Yeah. Would you tell yourself to do anything differently?
1: Um, I probably would. I would um, probably delegate more. Um, have a really robust succession planning, and to probably not overanalyze things too much. I'm I'm very much a. Um, I think I'm in that trap too yeah I, I, I probably look at um, be a bit more relaxed I suppose yeah okay um, yeah. take a few more risks um, not, not when I say risks, not necessarily on the fire ground yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. but just risks in general um, that's interesting that my wife and I you know if if we had a hundred dollars i'd probably look at investing seventy percent or or holding it away <laughs> for that rainy day and, and she'd spend one hundred and ten and take the gamble. <laughs> so um I've always been that way I yeah, think that's right. just been the way I, I've been bought up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it the the only other probably thing would be to make the this brigade, um you know, we we're very much a family brigade, but in those earlier years we, we probably didn't leverage off that as best we could.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, okay. But
1: now I, I can't fault the, the brigade yeah. or the rest of the brigades either. The service is is a, a phenomenal service um, and very, very proud that, A, I've been a member for that long, yeah. but now to, to privilege to lead Chief it. Chief officer, yeah. Yeah. yeah I well. still pinch myself, to be honest. Yeah, I bet you do, yeah. I mean, seven years, I, I never – my career plan was to hopefully get to that, that position, but yep. obviously there was a few things that happened along the way and um, opportunities came up earlier than what I thought they would. Yep. Um, but, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed. They're an awesome bunch of people.
0: Yeah, great. And that's that's an amazing story. Like literally, you know, whatever, however long it is, thirty years ago, driving yeah. in through this gate and starting as a as a recruit volunteer, yeah. and then you're back here today talking to me as the chief officer yeah, at yeah. the same place. No, so, that's right. That's, that's pretty cool. Now, the very last thing I have to ask you is a song. So we have a playlist for the walkers doing the Heart Heart Walk, which is obviously going to take three months. So we need yep. lots of songs, <laughs> but we're after songs that are not going to. Pull people back, or you know, I'm thinking of those songs that are. We're trying to cover 40k's a day. So if you're if they're at that 39th k and they just don't want to do the last one, what yep. song are they going to put on?
1: So for me, it's it's going to be. odd would work walk 500 miles. Proclaimers, <laughs> purely only because I know. Billy uh, has got a very strong Scottish background yeah, and the the Irish accent uh, coming through with the Proclaimers (laughs) is
0: one of those that I'd like to to stick it up, Billy. You know, (laughs) once this goes out, he'll tell me to delete this episode, you know that. No, and, (laughs) and I will deliberately come out and play the song too. Yeah, good one. All right. That's fantastic. Hey, look, we've we're, this has been a great chat, actually. Thanks so much no, for I've your time this morning. I've enjoyed every minute of it. And, uh, Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, I know you're a busy person, but yeah, I really appreciate you sharing openly your personal story and, you know, how that's influenced you in that uh, position of leadership for the whole organisation mm. to do what you do.
1: Yeah, yeah, and looking forward to the launch this week as yeah. well. So we're at a couple of those, and yeah, yeah good. Yeah, well, and, um, see you there. If there's anything we can do to to help, let me know.
0: Very good. Thanks very yes. much for your time. Not a problem at all. You've been listening to the Heart to Heart Foundation podcast. People on their own journey for the awareness of mental health in our first responders. Thanks for listening and please remember to support our foundation by going to the webpage at www.hearttoheartwalk.org. That's www.heart2heartwalk.org or just Google it.